these atrocities are uh, beyond war. Days have passed since the violence started in Manipur. Yes. And it took just one video for Prime Minister Nin Modi to break his silence. Very unfortunate, I must say. Forget about 79 days. For such scale of violence, even a week is a long time. Silence is deafening. And uh, I am very disappointed as the leader of my people. We as a country need to learn to go beyond party lines. The head of the government was at, this, at the forefront of building uh, which maligns the entire victim community. The actual perpetrators of the violence, not to condone them, I think are less guilty than the people who instigated. Amid all this, how do you see the role of army? The army is the only saving grace. But for the army, what Pramod Singh had warned on national television of wiping out the entire Kukizo community would have happened by now. The central government is holding all the cards and that is why we're still pleading with the central government. We have no hope whatsoever of justice or whatever from the state government. Is the separate administration the only solution? That's the only way out now. Forget about the ordinary citizens, see, even as an elected MLA. There is no security of life for me to go and attend the assembly in Imphal. Citizens of India, don't the Kukizo people deserve an arrangement where they can live with security. The media in Manipur is as yellow as it gets. Uh, it will soon die of jaundice, Dada Rabindranath Tagore had written uh, during the freedom struggle. that uh, the people in the region can wake up without fear in their minds. On July 19th, that two, that's two days ago, a video went viral on social media. In that video, at least two women were paraded naked and sexually assaulted. After this, Prime Minister Narendra Modi broke his silence for the first time and Chief Justice of India, D.Y. Chandrachud, called the incident barbaric. Two months after the FIR was registered, four men have been arrested. But this is not the only incident of crimes against women. In a letter written by 10 Kuki Zomi MLAs, they pointed out there are four other such incidents of crimes against women. Seven of them are from BJP. I have one of the MLAs who was one of the signatories of the letter. We have with us Paulinal Haukip. He is an MLA from Saikot Assembly Constituency in Churachandpur. Haukip, sir, welcome to this NL interview. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, my first question is regarding the four incidents of crimes against women you mentioned in the letter. What are those cases that you mentioned in the, if you could tell us? No, uh, uh, we have listed it out uh, uh, on our uh, press statement. Mm. You can refer to that. Mm. Uh, these are very unfortunate incidents wherein uh, women, uh, in one case, it were nursing students mm. who were staying in their hostel. Uh, another incident was uh, 
two girls working in a car wash. And the third, of course, was of a woman uh, captured from a Kukizo colony called Chakon in Imphal. I think uh, in one of the cases, uh, the two uh, women who worked in a car wash, they have already been killed after being raped. In the other cases, I think uh, there were some miraculous escapes. And the fourth one that we have mentioned was, of course, not a case of rape. It was a gruesome beheading of a, a cookies of villager by the name of David Take. I mean, uh, if there is a war between communities or between countries, uh, getting killed as part of the game. But even in war, there is a court of ethics. Uh, you sue the man, your enemy. Uh, that is part of the war. But when you molest and when you uh, sow depravity, inhuman depravity, in killing people, uh, I think that needs to be categorized differently and condemned by all right-thinking people in the world. So these atrocities are uh, beyond war. This shows certain level of human depravity which needs to be condemned in the highest degree. 79 days have passed since the violence started in Manipur. Yes. And it took just one video for Prime Minister Nandini Modi to break his silence. Very unfortunate, I must say. And he says, if I could quote him, he says the incident is a shameful act for any civilized society. The entire nation is feeling ashamed. Is it too late and too little? I would put it this way, Asif. Uh, we have been crying horse. We have met the Union Home Minister. We have sought as representatives of the people an appointment with the Prime Minister himself. There was no response. Till today, we're still waiting for that opportunity to apprise him the gravity of the situation. Now, assuming, just assuming, that the Union Home Minister had failed to report to the Prime Minister the gravity of the situation, which is very unlikely. Even so, even from independent sources, 79 days, forget about 79 days, for such scale of violence, even a week is a long time, and many lives could be saved. But the uh, silence is deafening. And uh, I am very disappointed as a leader of my people who are suffering. Is it correct to say before he went to the United States, you tried to reach him? Yes. And do you think that he has misplaced priorities? I think that is uh, what the country is assuming now. Uh, it is not for me to judge. But you are one of the voices of the Kuki Mizo Zo community. Yes, uh, for us especially, uh, it feels that uh, 
priorities are entirely misplaced. Uh, I would not for once, uh, you know, uh, negate or discount the importance of uh, a visit to the United States as head of the government. There are international relations that we have to take care of. Our trade with other countries is as important as any other matter. But when your people are being killed, uh, I think uh, the list modicum of humanity demands that uh, you should pay some time, some attention to try and resolve it, which uh, I feel is lacking. Do you think if the video hadn't gone viral, Prime Minister Modi would not have spoken? That is what the country thinks and that is what it turned out to be. And that's why I had tweeted for the other cases that we, we discussed earlier on. Would it, should it require, necessarily require audiovisuals of those cases also to surface? for the Chief Minister, for the Prime Minister, for the Home Minister to notice. Are people in possession of those audiovisuals of other cases that you talked about? That I am not aware. But my contention is, do we need audiovisuals? Is not the state government supposed to uh, take action on such, uh, you know, inhuman cruelties? Uh, for a fact, the particular incident that had surfaced day before, the FIR had already been registered earlier, much earlier. And the Chief Minister claims he came to know of it uh, yesterday, which, uh, given the fact that he's also the Home Minister, so say the uh, I mean, complete total incompetence or a cover-up, and I think it is not incompetence. It is a cover-up, and hadn't, uh, hadn't the uh, video surfaced, he would not still have admitted such inhumanity, such depravities uh, occurring under his watch. You're talking about the cover-up by Chief Minister of Manipur, Birin Singh. Yes. Would he have continued if he did not have support of the central government? That is uh, what I am also beginning to wonder. And I think, honestly, that is what the country is beginning to question now. You have a chief minister. I happen to be from the party, but uh, on certain things, on basic uh, human, human rights issues, on issues affecting the dignity of a person as a human being, uh, we, we, we as a country need to learn to go beyond party lines. We need to call what is black is black, what is white is white. I'll come back to the party line question. Uh, in that video, uh, one of the uh, women, uh, she gave an interview to the Indian Express and where she talks about how police was complicit in the attack or in the alleged rape that she... You know what, uh, Siv, I'll tell you. Uh, 
the focus of the entire country is, uh, I'm sorry to say, there's a little uh, still skewed. Like the Prime Minister's statement, it is still seen as an isolated case of uh, assault on women. We fail to focus on the ethnic cleansing that is happening because of which such depravity had occurred. And we fail to focus on uh, the instigators of the violence. The head of the government was at, this, at the forefront of building, uh, you know, uh, a narrative which maligns the entire victim community. And uh, you have the so-called uh, culture or civil society organizations within the Métis society like the Mite, Lipun and the Arambai Tengol building, you know, negative narratives against the Kukizo community for long. We have been turning a blind eye to that and the actual perpetrators of the violence not to condone them, I think are less guilty than the people who instigated the young minds into hating a particular community to the extent that uh, they ended up committing such depravity. You're calling it ethnic cleansing? That is what it is. I'm not calling it. That's what it is. Hmm. But violence has occurred from both sides. Now, Métis can't go back to the hills and cookies uh, they can't go back to the valley. Violence occurring from the... both sides is something I would like to contest. Uh, because, uh, of course, on the 3rd and 4th May, uh, violence was reciprocal. And even there, the Kukizo community, well, uh, uh, they reacted to uh, the cleansing of Kukizo colonies in Imphal Valley by chasing out the Meitei uh, community. Uh, localities in the hill districts, they ensured that they are safe. No one was harmed physically. Only their presence was, uh, you know, uh, reciprocally uh, detested. Now, after the initial uh, thing, which goes on for about a week, I would say, 99% of the violence happens because of the attacks by the Mete militia, alongside the police commandos on cookie-inhabited villages on the fringes. So the violence would stop the moment Mr. Biren Singh is able to rein in his militia, which he was a part of and a leader in radicalizing the militia. The day he can rein in such elements and the day he stops, the police forces, the state police, from aiding those militias in attacking cookies or villages, that's the end of violence. But the end of violence is not necessarily, the, it doesn't necessarily translate into peace. Peace for peace to come and for lasting peace to come in Manipur. It needs a political settlement and I'm looking forward to uh, the Honorable Prime Minister despite his lead reaction in uh, realizing the political gravity of the situation. It's not just a law and order situation. 
it's not uh, an aberration against his Betty Bachao, Betty Padao campaign. It is a deep political uh, problem. It has deep roots of denial of constitutional rights to the tribal hill communities in Manipur. Why I said that violence has happened from both sides because I was looking at the uh, one of the affidavits which was filed uh, in the Supreme Court where the Manipur government has given the breakup of deaths. Uh, Imphal East and West, they recorded 29 deaths each. Churachandpur, which is cookie dominated district, recorded 26 deaths. Then Kakching, Kaak 18 deaths. Bishnupur, 18 deaths. Kangpokpi, 8 deaths. First of all, whatever data that the state government furnishes uh, needs to be viewed with a lot of skepticism in these times because uh, the data are tweaked uh, to uh, favor a certain narrative and we must remember that uh, the state government is totally compromised and is complicit in the violence on the Kukizo community. That is why it took this long. You're saying the data has been present to set a certain kind of narrative? Yes. So the state government data, whatever they have furnished, uh, I would think twice hmm. before taking them on face value. But any Kuki Mizo um, Zoo group, has have they done any any data collection about the deaths to counter this government data? I mean, uh, in the, uh, that's what uh, that's occurring uh, on the Kukizo uh, community in the hill districts. Uh, we have the data, but those that uh, within the Imphal Valley, uh, we do have uh, some kind of a data, but uh, the bodies need to be verified, which is yet to be done till today, after 79 days. The bodies are supposedly lying in the uh, government hospital morgues and we have no access so the numbers could be much more than what we have now. Hmm. You just mentioned about the way police are working in Manipur. These ethnic fault lines and even police for force, did they exist even before the violence? No, uh, it was after the violence uh, because it's only after the violence that uh, uh, the Kukizo uh, personnel who are in the state forces uh, are either let off or had to escape from their uh, places of posting in the valley areas uh, to flee and flee for their lives. So, uh, like I said earlier, uh, in this kind of situation, uh, blaming actual perpetrators as per law is also uh, one thing, but uh, you have to look at the larger picture and you have to look at who instigates what. And uh, let me put this on record that if leaders of the Meite Lipun like uh, Pramod Singh or uh, leaders of the Aram by Tengol are involved, I'm not saying they're less culpable, but if you have representatives of the people like uh, the MP, Rehasabai MP, who openly are hand in gloves with the militia groups, the two militia groups. And if you have a chief minister on top of that, 
hand in glove with such militia. What do you expect? Amid all this, how do you see the role of army? The army is the only saving grace. But for the army, what Pramod Singh had warned on national television of wiping out the entire Kukizo community would have happened by now. The only saving grace is the Indian army. And initially, they could not effectively deal with the situation because political direction was lacking. That is very unfortunate. Can Metilipun be described as one of the fringe elements they talk about? It was a fringe element. It was a fringe element. But uh, once they have the support of the head of government and uh, one of the two members of parliament from the state, they get emboldened and they grew in size and strength. It's a very, very dangerous game that they're playing. And this needs to be handled politically, condemned by all sections of society. Now I'll come to the negotiation part. Uh, since the video uh, went viral, have you received any invite from the central government? None. Mm. And state, uh, we still have to seek appointments to try and meet them, mm. which is also unfortunate. What was the last time when you sent an invite, sent a, sent a request? It was just before uh, the prime minister left for the U.S. that we have put in an application mm. to his office for an appointment with the ten cookies or MLS. Mm. We're still waiting on that yeah. and uh, we haven't made any other requests so far but mm. uh, we tend to in the few, in mm. a few days ahead of us. Mm. Since May 3rd there have been few rounds of talks uh, between MLAs from Manipur and the central government leadership including union ministers. Well, we have met the what? union home minister once mm. and uh, there have been other meetings uh, not necessarily with the MLAs. Mm. Some of the representatives have uh, sort of uh, sympathized with the situation mm. and uh, I'm hopeful that they see the need for a political settlement mm. for lasting peace so that the people can wake up without fear in their minds mm. and go about with living their lives as citizens of India. Mm. But despite several rounds of talks and Home Minister Misha also visited Manipur, the situation is very volatile now. The situation is still volatile and as a community being under attack, our village defence forces still cannot let down their guard because attacks are sporadic, it can happen anytime. Uh, in very few areas, the Indian Army has successfully established uh, buffer zones, uh, those are the only saving grace of the situation. So my salute to the Indian Army. I wish their capability, their strength, their commitment to the country can soon be backed by a political will for them to establish peace. But it seems uh, from your remarks vis-a-vis uh, -vis the central government seems that you have fewer complaints to the central government than the state government. Fewer complaints to the central government? Hmm. No, 
we don't have any complaint with the state government now. Our complaints are with the central government that they recognize the separation, hmm. the human separation, the segregation with a separate administrative setup for the cookies of people. Hmm. We're not seeking anything from the state government now. And we're not even accepting anything from the state government now. I'll come back to the to your demand of separate administration. But before I come to that, I'll I'll ask you one question about the political alliances in the state and outside state. There was on July 18th, uh, ND held a mega rally where 38 parties came together, mm -hmm. and one of them was uh, Kuki People's Alliance, mm -hmm. which has two MLAs, and these two MLAs are also part of your group. Yes. So does it mean that they don't have they don't view central government in as bad light as state government. Well, uh, they, they, they happened to be uh, in the alliance uh, before all the troubles broke out. Uh, I don't know particularly if uh, the KPA had actually participated in that conclave, hmm. uh, which was uh, kind of India gearing up for 2024. Hmm. A problem is much more, I'd call it, uh, regional, local, and uh, it is not a concern related with the general elections so much. Uh, we'd like the party in power to see through uh, the need for establishing permanent peace in the region. But you've been demanding president's rule in the, sta in the state. Well, uh, it's up to the central government. Central government, if it I wants have been to do saying, it. I have been saying, that is a call for the central leadership to take. Hmm. Uh, there were so many options before them, constitutional options. But 79 days is too long a time for the killings to go on. Yes, it's too long a time, unacceptable. But it seems that Kuki MLAs are ready to be with the central leadership, even though the situation has not been resolved. Well, because uh, the way I see the things, the central government holds all the cards. The central government is holding all the cards and that is why we're still pleading with the central government. We have no hope whatsoever of justice or whatever from the state government. But have you thought of leaving the BJP because... Well, uh, nothing is off the table. Hmm. Politics is uh, sometimes a waiting game. We have to see how things progresses. We are elected to represent the interest of our people. And if uh, there comes a time, and if there evolves a situation where remaining with a particular party is going to, is going to betray the trust that the people have uh, given us, then we'll cross that bridge when we reach there. Mm. But as of now, as things stand now, uh, you think it's beneficial for you to, or for your fellow MLAs, seven of them are from BJP, to stay in the party? Well, uh, is it beneficial for you and for your people also? The party is not about uh, Birin Singh alone. Hmm. Or the party is not about uh, a few persons who might have uh, betrayed the visions of the party for the country, who might have uh, hijacked uh, the name of the party for their vested interest. 
So, uh, there's nothing wrong, I feel, in keeping faith in the party. Mm. It may be delayed, but that they see the reality uh, as it is, is also one of my responsibilities. And I have been reaching out to party leaders also. In fact, I have written to the state party president before the violence broke out, expressing my concerns uh, about the, uh, the way in which the chief minister is handling uh, certain things, including the uh, narrative that maligns a particular community in the state, uh, the state of the economy and other things. Has the party and been deceptive? Uh, unfortunately, before the state president uh, could react to whatever I have written to her, the troubles began and uh, there's a complete breakdown of communication. It's totally separated. What about the central BJP leadership? Have they been receptive to your concerns? Well, I have uh, aired my concerns to uh, one or two leaders. They have... Um, glad that they have passionately listened through uh, whatever concerns that I have expressed. Uh, these are uh, perhaps complex matters for them because uh, uh, their familiarity with the region is also, as the whole of India is, uh, a little lacking. So they might be taking time, but I'm still hopeful that they see through the reality. But do you agree that the patient hearing by the BGP leadership has not resulted into... into Tangible actions? Tangible action. Not so far, yes. I regret that. But uh, it's a situation of hoping against hope that they remember the concerns that I've expressed to them. And... Uh, translate those into action that will bring peace to the region. And most importantly, as uh, Dada Rabindranath Tagore had written uh, during the freedom struggle, that uh, the people in the region can wake up without fear in their minds. I pray that people in power walk towards that. The sooner the better. Now I'll come to, the, to, to your demand of separate administration. You and nine other MLAs, you wrote a letter to the centre and state also. Is it correct? To the no, we had government. written to the uh, Union Home Minister. Hmm. So, so if I could read out from the, the letter, our people can no longer exist under Manipur as the hatred against our tribal community reached such a height that MLAs, ministers, pastors, uh, police and civil officers, laymen, women and even children were not spared. Not to mention the destruction of places of worship, homes and properties. Is the separate administration the only solution? That's the only way out now. Forget about the ordinary citizens, see, even as an elected MLA. There is no security of life for me to go and attend the assembly in Imphal. If you remember, one of our colleagues, who by the way was 
advisor to the chief minister was Lynch and he's still recuperating. He barely survived. So in such a situation, as citizens of India, don't the Kukizo people deserve an arrangement where they can live with security without fear? Don't we, as citizens of India, all deserve that? Should the greed for tribal land of a majority community be an obstacle in ensuring the marginalized communities the right to live without fear? What are the geographical boundaries of the separate administration that you are seeking? Well, the tribal areas in Manipur had been defined in 1972 in the presidential order. It's clearly defined. So there's no confusion. The hill areas inhabited by the Kukizo community. Only, we are not demanding any extra Mete territory. The territories we have the right under the constitution and we have in inhabited since India became a nation. Those are our limited demands. But Kukizo are not the only tribal groups. Yes, they are Nagas, they have their demands. Hmm. Nagas have opposed separate administration saying that it should be done on the basis of Naga peace process. That is what the Naga demand is. Uh, I don't have, and the Kukizo people don't have any objection to the Nagas being granted a similar arrangement in all the Naga inhabited areas. Now, one of the problematic uh, issues in the politics of Manipur is uh, imaginary claims on uh, historical rights of land, right? This whole narrative created about who is indigenous, who is not indigenous, is a superfluous debate created by vested interest. Uh, basically uh, out of greed. Now, India became a nation. India became independent in 1947 and we became a republic in 1952. Under the constitution, we have rights. If today we are, if all sections of people are to claim uh, pre-independence rights on land and all that, mm. what would India be? Total chaos. But beyond the historical perspective that you're giving, how would you square up with the Nagas' opposition to your demand? Whatever land inhabited today by the Kukizo community and whatever land inhabited by the Nagas today, those should be recognized. But there, there would be areas, but there would be districts where both communities are living together. I mean, uh, it would be like ghettoization at the macro level of Manipur. So if, if you want, if you really want a political solution, uh, those are not uh, insurmountable obstacles. Uh, you have two villages neighboring each other, uh, one Kuki, one Naga. Ask them, ask the villages with which administration they want to be with. That is the fairest possible way of solving a problem.
it need not be necessarily contiguous. We have examples in Pondicherry where, you know, island pockets are administered according to the wishes of the people living there. Mm. So such kind of apprehensions are just uh, creating or uh, building hurdles where there aren't any. Now I'll come to the question of uh, looting of arms. Yes. Around 4,000 arms were looted. Are they and looted or are they gifted? Hmm. That is what needs to be investigated. Hmm. Uh, I cannot uh, in my wildest dreams imagine you know, a neutral security force of a state uh, allowing the looting of so much arm mm. and ammunition without any resistance. Mm. I can understand if after defending the uh, state property furiously, they are overpowered then that's believable because if 5,000 people came down on some 400 people, then it's possible that some arms might be looted. But without resistance, without any resistance, that is a giveaway. It's not... One, one argument given in support of looting or as you're saying, <coughs> arms were gifted, is that uh, some Methi leaders are claiming that it was necessary or it was required because there are a lot of Kuki insurgent groups. They, are, they have sophisticated weapons oh. to protect ourselves. The Kuki insurgent groups are under uh, what they call SO. suspension of operations with the central government. Hmm. And most of their arms are under double lock and key. Hmm. The kind of lies, the kind of uh, false narratives that is being brought up by the state government and the uh, majority Métis community to justify whatever uh, unconstitutional actions that they have taken is amazing. There's a famous saying to the effect that uh, fact is stranger than fiction. I think that applies to the kind of fake news, uh, fake narratives that has been at play in Manipur for the past almost three months. Yeah, uh, before we conclude this interview, I'll ask, uh, News Laundry does a lot of stories on media, how media is covering particular issue. Uh, I also wrote one story about uh, how Manipur media is covering Manipur violence. Mm. That is the same to journalism. Mm. But how do you see how the mainland media and Manipur media have covered the violence? The mainland, what, are the, what, are, what are the big takeaways? Take what we need to learn? Uh, what we are getting right or what we are getting wrong? Okay, there is a big distinction between mainland uh, media and uh, the media in Manipur. The media in Manipur is as yellow as it gets. Uh, it will soon die of jaundice. As far as the mainland media is concerned, some uh, have the habit of reporting whatever is fed to them. 
without really investigating uh, whether what's served on their plate is true or not. A uh, few media houses behave like that. Uh, and also, uh, one of the problems is mainland uh, Indians, mostly uh, their awareness about uh, the notice is very limited. So the journalists, the reporters of one from that crowd. So their knowledge is very limited. Whereas uh, we in the Nordis, we we know everything about the country. The Mathura, Elora, Ajanta caves, you know, the beaches of Goa. I think uh, we need to relook uh, the ed education system in the country also. Because so little of the history of uh, the communities in the Nordist India features in uh, the uh, celebrity of the education system that we have, be it CBSC or whatever. That is also a challenge that we need to address. And uh, once uh, they get to see through uh, the facade of false narratives and all that, the mainland media does come through uh, and uh, served journalism right. That's how I see it. Oh, when the violence started, uh, the immediate trigger was uh, the demand by Maiti communities to be included in scheduled tribe category. Uh, would I call that the immediate trigger of the violence? Or uh, before that, were there underlying fault lines, ethnic fault lines? Between as the I two told you, yeah. uh, there were ethnic fault lines. Mm. Uh, and I have been saying in uh, my various interviews with the media, it is the failure to observe the constitutional provisions that has led to the fault lines, basically. The Constitution of India had uh, provided for certain rights for the tribals as part of the uh, positive discrimination that the Constitution holds. Mm. So tribal areas are basically protected. Now, in the assembly, to ensure that the tribal rights are protected, uh, what is called the hilarious committee, is put in place under the constitution. But that was not allowed to function as it should. Things, matters which relate to the hill, the hill areas, had seldom been referred to uh, the hill areas committee as required under the constitution. That has led to uh, a lot of hill areas being constituted as a reserve forest without following due procedures and without referring uh, the matter to the hill areas committee because it affects the hill areas. Now, the other example is most of the resource allocations under the tribal sub plan and all that has continuously been diverted by the state government to other purposes without uh, the funds reaching the tribal areas. And you have the delimitation commission, which based on the census of 2001, had recommended an increase in uh, the representation of the tribal areas in the state assembly that was opposed to the nail by the majority community. And uh, the last UPA government had brought out 
a presidential ordinance deferring the delimitation exercise in the state. Now, denial of proportionate representation as one of the gravest uh, denial of rights under the Constitution. Those things are happening as a matter of, as if they were routine things. And uh, I started challenging all those as a representative. But sadly, uh, the tribal representation also happened to happened to be weak because most tribals are first either first generation educated uh, people or some are not at all educated. They fail to uh, perceive the role of a, an elected representative in you know safeguarding the rights under the constitution. Most elected MLAs are fascinated with the developmental funds and all that. Those are, of course, important, but the rights guaranteed under the Constitution, they need to be respected for peace to prevail in the land. Those had long been neglected since the uh, formation of the state, first as a union territory and thereafter in 1972 as a state. Uh, those things have created uh, deep fault lines. And uh, if you listen to the uh, majority community narrative, they would talk about how unfair it is that 10% of the, uh, the, the land area is inhabited by 53% of the population and all that. Mm. I'm telling you, there's no land pressure at present in Manipur. If you take the valley, Mm. It is 10 percent and the entire population living there. And if you compare that to the all India land ratio, population to land ratio, it is not land pressure. It is a narrative that is built to grab tribal land against the constitution. Then it's not wrong to say that land is the root cause of? In a way, yes. The conflict. Land per se is not the root cause. The majority community's greed for tribal land is the root cause. I'd put it that way. But you you don't think it justified that 10%, the 53% of population, they are living on 10% of land and they want to move out or they want to have... But See, you, you're calling it greed. It is greed. There, if you look at the map, if you Google it, the 10% of the valley is plain area and the habitations are still very limited. A hundred years from now also, there will be no land pressure in Manipur. I mean, in the valley also. And that 10%, so that 10% of the territory of Manipur is the best part of the land, the most fertile, and it has a carrying capacity, which is about almost 100 times that is of the hills because the hills have very few areas that that are humanly habitable they are important for ecological and other uh, uh, purposes but for habitation they are simply inhabitable 
steep mountains, ravines and the habitable area would be just about 10 to 15 percent of that 90 percent. Isn't a justified demand from the majority community that 90 percent land should also be unlocked for them? That was the traditional uh, kingdom. If I, I were to take on the narrative building of uh, going back to uh, pre-India history, that was always the area occupied by the Mete community. And the hills always belonged to the tribals. And uh, just because they're in majority, is it right that they should demand the land of the tribals? Just because you have a big family and your neighbor has a small family, does it give you the right to demand half their house? It doesn't. No, I'll ask you last question. Uh, more than 150 people have been killed in this violence. 150 is an understatement, like mm. I say. I'm going by the state numbers. Yes. Over 400 injured, more than 50,000 have been displaced. I mean, of course, these are not numbers. This is a big humanitarian crisis that India has seen in decades. Yes. But is it possible for both the communities to coexist and how peace can be achieved? Yeah, of course. We have to coexist, but as neighbors under different administrative setups. But you can't coexist in the same boundary, within the boundary of a state, the no, boundary of money. That, that has been made impossible by the uh, majority community. They have driven us out, hmm. uh, and they're the majority. Hmm. Forget about the minority community going back to their lives in Imphal. Mm. Today, even Meite would not dare to come back to the hills. That's the kind of separation that they have affected. Mm. So the best way forward is for the government of India to recognize the segregation and uh, give it an official administrative recognition. Then, with mutual respect, in time, Hopefully, we'll learn to be good neighbors, respecting each other. Well, since it could be a long drawn process, but immediately how the authorities, the central government or state government can put out the flames of violence? Like I said, give the army a, a free hand. The army can create effective buffer zones and that will be the end of violence. As long as you hold back the army, as long as you have the chief minister, a biased chief minister, as the chairman of the joint uh, you know, committee on security in the state, I don't foresee peace coming soon, or not peace, but the end of violence coming soon. So thank you so much for thank giving you. us thank this you. interview. And you've been very candid in your thought, in your remarks. I mean, we all have to speak the truth uh, for the country to progress, for peace to come and reign in our land. We cannot have Petty party political agendas and party vested, petty vested interest disturbing the country and the progress of our people. We have uh, much lack to fill uh, to be a developed country and we should not be held back by such troubles, unfortunate troubles, because of lack of straightforwardness. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, sir.